Hi, everybody, and welcome to Humanity First. My name is Peter Evers, and uh, today um, we're going to talk about something very close to home, um, and that is what is it about this town uh, of Brockton, where Bamsey is uh, pretty much based, that we like? Um, we, it is a town that doesn't get talked about a great deal. Um, it isn't um, a place that gets a, a lot of attention in terms of the media, but there are so many good things going on here. And of course, there are very famous um, denizens of this city um, who's, who resonate through time. And uh, uh, i got Chris Ryan with me today. Hi, Chris. How are you doing? Hello, Peter. And I believe that uh, last week when I saw you last, you were off on a pilgrimage to find yeah. a famous boxer's home. Yeah. So um, one of the things you think of about Brockton is the home of Rocky Marciano and, you know, in sports lore, I've heard about him over and over and over again. And I'm way too young if I've actually seen him fight. But, you know, from from people who, who love sports in this region, like he is an absolute icon. So I wanted to kind of get a feel for, for him and also for that time period. Because, you know, whenever you go to whether it's John Adams and uh, John Quincy Adams place up in, in Braintree or you know, Rocky Marciano, you're kind of not just learning about the person, but that time period. And his house is owned as a private residence at this point, but there's a marker out front. And, you know, the great thing about technology is that you can basically do your own home tour of anywhere mm-hmm. and just kind of get a feel for what it was like during that time period and learn about the person. So parked the car, got out, took a picture, sent it to Peter, and uh, went back in and started to look at some of the, the pictures. And there were pictures of Rocky and his, his mom and his mom making him a huge thing of pasta and – got a vision for what it was like, you know, inside the house. And it talked about how he had um, this apparatus he created in the, the backyard that he would, he would hit uh, when he was getting prepared. And, you know, I just got a feel for the immigrant working class nature of um, Brockton in the 20s and, and 30s. And, you know, you go up and down, look at the neighborhood and uh, imagine what it was like during that time period. And then I went over to the high school and, you know, they have the the biggest statue I've ever seen <laughs> of just about anybody. Um, probably not as big as Abe Lincoln, but, you know, one of the biggest statues I've ever seen of anybody. Uh, it's out there with him, you know, throwing a punch. They had a mask on on him. And you just you just think about him and that, and that time period because, you know, a lot of these figures are not just, you know, individuals onto themselves but as i said they're also kind of representative of a a place or a time and in that time in in boxing it was filled with a lot of of immigrants of irish immigrants and and jewish immigrants and italian immigrants um you know then the Mar- uh, uh muhammad ali came along after that um so yeah i mean it was just a it was a feel for that that time period what brockton was probably like in the Twenties or thirties, looking at the pictures. Yeah, and I think a part of it is it's hard to imagine Rocky Marciano coming from sort of the back bay, isn't it? I mean, it, it is in many ways that the the town and the individual and and the sort of grit and the the sort of blue collar sort of nature of him and how he was sold is absolutely in line with this city. And I think that continues to be uh, the story of this great city and that, you know, it's sort of halfway between uh, Providence and, and, um, and Boston. Uh, it is, um, it is a, sort of a, a, a gravity pull all of its own. Um, it is an immigrant city still. 
uh, as we welcome new Americans. Um, oftentimes, those folks gravitate to places like Brockton, where there is cheaper housing um, and, you know, not, I mean, some employment opportunities. But it is a welcoming place in that regard. It's somewhere where somebody comes from a different country like Rocky Marciano did, or at least his parents did, you know, at the turn of the last century, there was someone where they, they could make home. Yeah, and you know, it got me thinking as well about you know, what is the the opportunity that exists for this era of um, of immigrants, and you know, certainly they have um, faced a lot of the same adversity, if not worse, than you know, my ancestors, I- Irish folks, or Rockies, Italian folks, um, or German Jews coming coming over. Um, but you know, there was. There was a, a way out through you know hard work and um, finding kind of your niche in life, open up a small business, and I think we see a ton of that ingenuity. But um, you know, one of the the major challenges that exists, and we've talked about this before, is uh, language barriers at times. And you know, we've heard from people inside this organization talk about how important that uh, it is for folks to um, to be able to to communicate. And that's certainly a barrier that exists and um, marginalizes what your output can be and kind of creates a niche for you within your specific community. And there's certainly small businesses in that realm. But, you know, that's, that, that got me thinking as well. What is, what is the, the opportunity that exists for um, – and certainly this organization provides opportunities um, to communicate one-on-one with folks from um, different, uh, different backgrounds. But that, that got me wondering, what is the – what is going to be the American dream for this generation of immigrant um, compared to you know fifty or hundred years ago? Yeah, and what's our role in that at Bamsey? Right. You know, and, and when you know when I think about our wonderful helpline, for instance, you th- you begin to think you know is there a, is there a different role for helpline in terms of that what those opportunities are? You know, I think one of the biggest myths uh, perhaps is that you know it, it that everybody has an equal shot and we know that that's not true we know that somebody who comes from a refugee camp having lived there for 15 years uh, and had no schooling and then is, is suddenly ends up in a massachusetts town does not have the same opportunities from somebody that went to phillips andover and so uh, what are we doing to provide people with those opportunities like for instance um social entrepreneur entrepreneur programs social impact bonding uh, bonds are there opportunities that we can give people and help them up. So I'm going to disagree with you um, because it's what I do. Um, I think the same opportunities exist for everyone. I do think that there are a lot of blockades that have been put in people's way that um, stops them or are inhibitors to getting those opportunities. But I do believe that the opportunities, you know, exist for, for all. But as I, as I mentioned, there's there can be they can be blocked like ninety nine point nine percent of the way. But there's always those people that are able to overcome and have these great American you know success stories. Are they the norm? They are not. And yeah, the we, exception that right the exactly. But I, and I think that it's our job to particularly you know for two white dudes at the top of the food chain to address what those inhibitors are and. Some of them, as we mentioned in regard to language, um, can be, you know, uh, taken upon by the individual, and they can uh, they can address that. But there are almost all of them are 
societal or systemic uh, issues that come from those who have been able to um, get their way to the top and are not always willing to pull others along with them and, in fact, um, sometimes pulling up the ladder on them. Pulling up the ladder. I think that's the expression. Um, But I I do think that Brockton has a unique – opportunity and it and it has been doing in terms of land regeneration we've got a great mayor who's really interested in in revitalizing downtown and you know hopefully Bamsey will be a part of that um i would love to see some offices of ours downtown look at the new um bars and restaurants that are going in downtown and you know i've seen that happen you you and i've seen it in in towns like franklin up in new hampshire if you actually do invest in that way uh, and tell a different story about a city, then um, then you do get some traction. And there is a great story of uh, of uh, achievement in this city. And let's not forget Marvin Hagler. At, uh, at, yeah. If we're talking about boxers, you know another another boxer who me growing up in in the UK. Uh, he was an idol of mine uh, mm-hmm. because he was just so strong and mm-hmm. such a born. I'm a big boxing fan um, myself, but um, but this all the um, stories about him indicate he was a really good, good person kind of, too, really and good. that's obviously important. Yeah, yeah. So um, always good to talk about our home and talk about what uh, is going on in Brockton. We should do more of that because it's a great city. In, indeed, it is. It's a great, great place, and it's one of those great, um, obviously, Americans. Cities, the city of, of champions, in fact. I'm going to turn things back over to Peter now, who's going to introduce this week's guest. Thanks, Chris. Always good to talk about home. Uh, and we have a new uh, person coming to our home here at Bamsey uh, this week, actually last week. And so um, I'd really like to welcome Pam Ryan, who is uh, our new hi, how are you, Pam? Who is our new chief human resources officer? Uh, as of a couple of weeks ago, as I just said, um, and what better way to introduce you than have you on the po- podcast and learn a little bit about you? Uh, and just sort of recap to recap, we have actually been uh, without a uh, human resource lead uh, over the last year. I would just like to take a minute to plug uh, or to say a big thank you to Lucas Carvalho um, and Jeanette Sangro, who have really just sort of held up the fort uh, during what has been one of the more difficult times for us. And Pam, you come to us um, at a period where we seem to be ramping up again around Omicron. And and I know that you've been through the mill in terms of where you've worked before. But um, maybe we should just start off by saying, well, welcome. And we're so glad that you're here. And uh, maybe say a little bit about how you how you got to us. How I got to you. So, um, yes, the last, I'm going to say, last few years, I was with an organization called the Phoenix House, where we handled substance use and co-occurring mental health disorders. Uh, Wonderful, mission-driven, at the time, national organization. Uh, Within a few years in, uh, the national uh, foundation uh, financially collapsed, and that left all of our regions So we had our New England region, our Mid-Atlantic region, Florida, Texas, California, and I had overseen all of HR under the the national footprint. Uh, We broke off into our regions, and I was invited by the New England and Florida regions to service uh, their footprints and then ultimately uh, dropped by Florida for more financial uh, reasons. And then COVID hit. 
So I was really just supporting the New England uh, region in four states. And uh, COVID certainly, I'm going to say, gave us a rattle like (laughs) everyone else. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, we were also having financial difficulties at the same time. So the the, the last year, I'm going to say my role was a combination, very heavily operations and a little HR light Mm -hmm. uh, because we needed to figure out how to continue to support patients and to see if there was a way for us to transition our programs to stronger entities within the New England region. We were able to do this successfully. It, uh, it took a lot of uh, creativity, blood, sweat, and tears. But at the end of the year and, and as of uh, December 31st, we can look back and say that not one single Phoenix House employee lost their job. We were able to transition all of our programs to uh, to new uh, entities, larger, stronger uh, companies. And um, from the day that we filed receivership, January 5th of a year ago, we didn't think we'd even make, make the next mm-hmm. payroll, mm-hmm. let alone continue to make payrolls throughout this year, throughout this process. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of good people were able to keep their jobs, very um, mission-driven organization. But if, uh, you, you know, you don't have the money, you can't have your mission. Right, right. And I think that's true of many organizations up and down the country. Even before COVID, I think it's, in human right. services it is, is is really difficult. And, you know, one of the things that we struggle with a lot, which everybody else does, is this issue of workforce. When we were talking earlier on today, we talked about how workforce is a global issue, and it absolutely is. And sometimes there might be a global answer to that. But, um, you know, you're you're coming into an organization which is definitely a lot more stable than the last one that you went. And I know that you were working right down to the wire. In fact, I think the Sunday night before you started on a Monday. Um, uh, so, you know, it would be great to sort of talk a little about what are your initial impressions. I know that, you know, um, the, there is an overlap, I think, there between a lot of the stuff that Phoenix House did, uh, being a nonprofit, being sort of involved in in human services. But, you know, we do a lot of different things here. Um, I'm always amazed when I hear that we do, you know, we do 120 different programs in 110 places. That's a, that's an HR challenge in itself, isn't it? Um, and so just sort of I'd love to hear what your first, your initial impressions are of the of the workforce issues, of the program issues, um, you know, for, for two weeks, you, you know. Yeah, I have, a, I have a full grasp on all of the issues and all of the programs. No, definitely not. Um, I'm, you know, at this point, I'm really just still even recognizing faces in the parking lot and, mm-hmm. and in the halls. And um, the one thing I will say that gives me um, a little bit of comfort is that, you know, there is uh, there are many employees here who have been here a long time. They understand certainly the mission. Uh, they have a firm grasp on their programs. And, um, you know, I think that hopefully we can provide the support and, you know, and kick it up a notch for them, a different level of, of support than perhaps maybe what they've been used to in the past. And, and of course, I'm looking at Massachusetts. Um, it's one state versus, you know, me operating. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually I'm in anywhere in the last, I'm going to say, 20 years since I've been in the CHR role. Organizations 
uh, going back to my for-profit experience all over the country, and you've got all these multi-state issues, and, mm-hmm. and then the work becomes uh, primarily legal mm-hmm. as opposed to human mm-hmm. resources. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually very excited mm-hmm. to, to have this one-state focus, and, you know, Massachusetts is, is always a challenge anyway. However, it's a clear challenge. Mm-hmm. It's a singular, <coughs> singular yeah. challenge from yeah. that perspective. Yeah, and so just sort of go back to that workforce issue, um, let's go from global down to Massachusetts, although a lot of our employees, of course, come from Rhode Island and and some other states as well. Um, but um, impressions on that? We, you know, we are um, we've made some significant changes over the past year in terms of um, pay uh, for our residential staff. Uh, we're looking to do the same thing as some of that um, American Recovery Plan Act uh, money comes in. But it's not all about money, is it? It isn't. It isn't. Um, you know, I mean, right now. Money becomes the overarching issue because of, you know, you take a look at our our economic situation, uh, and not just in Massachusetts, certainly in the United States. Um, you know, we're looking at inflation being what will likely move into the the first half of next year. It's going to continue to put downward pressure on wages, and and we are going to have to continue to address that. Um, But it is deeper than that. I think people now have grown um, more comfortable and accustomed to having more flexibility in their work style. Um, That's become a huge issue with people. People are actually not taking jobs now uh, Mm -hmm. unless they have a, you know, a hybrid situation Mm -hmm. at minimum. Mm -hmm. Uh, And a lot of people are looking to work from home. And and so when you look at the new uh, poll information that's coming out, I think we need to be able to quickly adapt to what our candidates are are going to be needing Mm -hmm. in order for them to be comfortable um, in working, let alone coming back into the workplace. Right. And many of our employees, of course, over half of them, half of the programs are 24-hour programs. And, you know, um, that requires that you can't work from home. Right. A nurse can't care for a patient unless they're in front. That's right. So it's really a question of championing championing and recognizing uh, those essential employees who essentially brought us through um, the COVID pandemic to where we are. Not saying it's over, but to where we are. And, you know, we've had the mandate as well for vaccinations and just want to shout out to a remarkable staff who have gone I think over the last month and a bit from 56 percent to 80 percent of the, oh, of the population uh, the employee population uh, vaccinated we know there's a lot of difference of opinion about mm-hmm. that and I, sure. I, um, I recognize that but I think from a public health point of view we're going in the right direction we are not experiencing um, big numbers of people who are positive at the moment um, we may well do with the Omicron, right. but I think we're sort of moving in the right direction, but also making sure that we do celebrate uh, our employees because they're the people that keep this place going. I, I, I sort of have, uh, we could call them old-fashioned opinions. Um, you know, every celebration doesn't necessarily have to involve, a, you know, something of monetary value. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a firm believer in, uh, you know, sending out, Thank you notes, something that could, uh, I hear is a lost art. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, recognizing recognizing people in little ways 
can be very impactful and very meaningful. And, uh, you know, if every day you're walking past uh, somebody's door that that reports to you and to just say, you know, what's going well for you today? What's not going Mm. well for you today? Mm. And is there anybody I should recognize? Mm. If this becomes part of our behavior, we we get, I think, better at at making sure that we recognize the little things Mm -hmm. because they're cumulative. Right, yeah, and I think there has been, you know, one of the things, and I don't think Mamsie is that unusual, but there is um, oftentimes a different perception between the administration and the field. And so sort of, uh, you know, absolutely recognizing people, getting out there. I know that you want to go on your road show as soon (laughs) as you can. But let me pick up on a thing that you said before, which I think is interesting, and people are, are thinking about this a lot. Um, you know, as we've come out into uh, uh, of the first round of COVID, um, we're beginning to see inflation, uh, as you mentioned before. I think we're six percent uh, up over the last year, and, and rising and highest <laughs> for thirty nine years in terms of the in terms of the growth of inflation. Um, and you know, when you begin to think about that, you think about people who you know are not um, paid as well as we'd like to pay them, that those increases, especially when you look at gas prices. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that does affect our wages, doesn't it? In terms of what's, you know, in in real terms, what that, what their wages are worth. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, when, when you sit across from any person that, you know, we all have bills to pay. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't uh, know people who are independently wealthy, and, and you know, we, we are all here to, you know, not only serve our mission, but, you know, we have families to support, and and um, I don't think any one of us is any different than anyone else. We all have different obligations and different circumstances in our lives and families, and it's, it's a challenge when you know, you've increased money, but it's it goes less far mm-hmm. than it did before you increased mm-hmm. the money mm-hmm. because of the inflation. Mm-hmm. And it may only be temporary, but if you're living on the edge already and things are challenging, um, you can understand when somebody can't be 100% focused mm-hmm. or their, you know, anxiety level increases. And that impacts everything. It does. And I, and I think, you know, we... Um sometimes look at the world in a in a bigger picture than the individual the, the in, uh, than what people are experiencing and it is yeah. true that if you have less money to spend on education food medicine yep. all those things are the, the those are things we need to pay attention stressors, to yeah. big stressors. and as we look at the future you know when we look at our strategic plan and we think about you know these big issues about you know improving programming expanding our footprint even maybe to different states um you know we have to think about the advocacy piece for this we have to think about what are we doing as an organization to put our best foot forward to say why aren't why isn't the state making available resources to pay people what they're worth Um, and that fight never stops i don't think It, it, it doesn't and the one thing that i really learned um, certainly from my last experience with Phoenix House, is that, you know, many of our programs are, um, you know, are dependent upon funding. And when you are dealing with funding that hasn't been increased in 10 years, but they still need you to operate at today's wages, those are challenges. Mm-hmm. And where does the money come from? Mm-hmm. I think people will all acknowledge that it needs to be allocated. It needs, these programs need to exist. But there seems to be a huge disconnect on how we pay for it mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. And 
those are bigger challenges yeah. than well you know I, I, but our, but our piece is the, to get the piece of the pie that people you know deserve who have brought us through this as far as I can see so you know as you as you look around um, your uh, your human human resources department um, you know, one of the things that people say, and this isn't about our HR department, but sometimes the HR department can seem pretty rigid. Some, you know, sure. if you're, I've, I've worked in places where they, oh, you know, yes. it's like, no, we can't do that. <laughs> one of the things I think is that I have come to appreciate knowing you a little bit is that um, you're more about, well, how do we get that yeah. done? How do we, and how do we recognize workforce? You know, and I suppose the question is, what's your opinion around? you know, sort of bringing that touch, um, that human touch, if you like, to the human race. Loaded question. (laughs) Big, big loaded question. I think a couple different ways to it, to it, attack it. Um, You know, the first, I think, is the recognition part. And, and the rest is, what is the mindset of the HR department? And um, I think I've shared with you that, you know, when I go to my HR soirees and, you know, meetings that, you know, I can be a bit of the odd man out sometimes because, yes, every organization, just like a society, we all have to have our laws, a.k.a. policies, in order to be able to function uh, where everyone understands what the rules of the road are and we're all singing off the same sheet of music. That's super. That's great. However... Times change, people change, circumstances change. And I think that my position has always been, you know, the policy's the policy, whatever we have at the moment, that's great. But I think we need to be always mindful of the fact that what's going on out in the world might need to influence how we change. And we need to move and groove with that. Mm-hmm. And we should be looking for reasons to say yes to people, mm-hmm. not looking for, well, that's the rule and, you know, hardcore no. Um, that's something that, that you know, anybody that, that has that mindset, um, I think, loses a lot of opportunity to partner with people and to understand what's really going out on out in the field. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping to be able to do that. And through that process, I think when other people are, are willing to get into that sort of, you know, scary creative mindset of, ooh, how can we make this work? A lot of cool ideas get thrown out. You know, a lot of crazy ideas mm-hmm. get thrown out. But you grab the best <laughs> from it. And hopefully that becomes maybe your next new policy. And from that process, you know, who really stepped up with some creative ideas? Let's recognize those people. Right, right. And that will trickle right. down. I think it also speaks to, you know, our relationship with our funders as well, because let's just talk about, um, say, we're looking for a clinician and it's in the kids' world and we want a clinician with five years' experience. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get that. Correct. Right? So. Is that something that the funder wants? Is that something we want? Do we need to change that? Is it something they have to have? Exactly. And then so you go back to the funder and you say, can we negotiate on that? Because you're not – I'd rather have somebody who was – you know, fresh out of college, who who we would then wrap these services around, these supports around for supervision. And in some ways, there's a benefit to that too, right? And so it is about really pushing back on some of the traditional things when you are dealing with a different environment that requires you to think differently. Yeah. I I mean, I think that we have to acknowledge that we are – we are in uncharted territory right now. Mm-hmm. No one knows how to deal with this. Not, not a single person 
has the answer. So that should influence Mm -hmm. how we problem solve Mm -hmm. and surround ourselves with as many of the subject matter experts in this area and and people who have knowledge who can toss out those crazy ideas. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. let's figure out how do we go back to the funders and and what could we hit them with that maybe we've never had to think about before. Well, there's so much for you to <laughs> absorb. And as they say, you're drinking from the fire hydrant right now. Dirty water from the fire hydrant. <laughs> um, but, you know, we're so, gla- we're so glad to have you with us, Pam. And it's just uh, I know that so the much. next onboarding month or so is going to be a learning experience. But, um, but uh, everybody is just really glad that you're I'm here. I'm thrilled to be here. Thrilled. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thanks.